Hey, it's Rose. Uh, Before we start today's episode, I just want to ask you a quick question. How do I sound? Do I sound maybe better than I did last season? I think so, because I am the same human with the same voice. However, I am speaking into a better microphone because I got to buy a new microphone thanks to you. Thanks to everybody who donated on Patreon or other places, I got to buy a new microphone and replace the old kind of crappy one that I was using before, and now I sound much better. So thank you so much to everyone who donated. Okay, hi, I'm Rose, again, Uh, and welcome to Flash Forward. Flash Forward is a show about the future. Every episode, we take on a specific possible or not-so-possible future scenario and try to really overthink what it would be like. We always start with a trip to the future to hear what's going on, and then we jump back to today to hear from experts about how that future would really go down. Got it? Great. Today, we are not going very far. We're going to start in the year 2020. In breaking news, President Jim Briskin collapsed today while addressing the public at a Thanksgiving Day parade in Ferguson, Missouri. Medics were on the scene immediately to whisk the president away. So far, there's been no word on the president's condition, but we'll update you as we can. An FBI agent who leaked emails from President Jim Briskin's office has been found dead today. The emails were at the heart of a controversy over Briskin's Thanksgiving plans, suggesting that he would make a secret trip out of the country to meet with the terrorist group ISIS. Runners in today's Alameda turkey trot got quite the surprise when President Jim Briskin lined up at the starting line. The president stopped along the route for photos before heading to his childhood home for Thanksgiving dinner. President Jim Briskin spoke to a historic crowd in Washington, D.C. today before sitting down for Thanksgiving dinner with the first family. President Jim Briskin landed in Iraq today to meet with members of resistance forces stationed there. The president has faced backlash over his choice to conduct this trip on Thanksgiving rather than postponing the meeting. Is Thanksgiving canceled? In a recent interview, President Jim Briskin expressed his desire to nix the holiday from American calendar, saying he would be doing nothing to celebrate and would not be eating the traditional turkey dinner with his family this year. Okay, so this is a future in which there is so much fake news that nobody knows what is real anymore. I've actually had this future on my list of futures to do for a while now, and it recently became very relevant. So here in the United States, there was just an election. I think you probably are aware of that, even if you don't live here. And in that election, uh, there was a whole bunch of weird stuff that happened, which we won't get into all of. But one of the weird things that happened was that fake news became a really huge problem. According to a recent BuzzFeed analysis, fake news stories were actually shared on Facebook more than real news stories. But let's back up for a second and talk about what fake news actually is. What does it mean when we say fake news? Because that's not totally clear. I think the real crux of the question surrounding fake news has to do with trust and authenticity, because the news is is only fake. It's only perceived as fake to people who disagree with it. 
That's Amy Webb. My name is Amy Webb. I am the CEO of the Future Today Institute and the author of The Signals Are Talking, Why Today's Fringe is Tomorrow's Mainstream. And Amy says that what you or I might consider fake news, somebody else might not, and we might not even agree about it. The problem is that you're at the checkout stand and you're looking at the clearly somebody took a pair of scissors and cut out a cartoon alien head and taped it on top of somebody else's body. You understand, right, that that's not real. But we assume that everybody else shares the worldviews that we have unless they are diametrically opposed and we, we see evidence of that on social media. We assume that if we see something, and to us it's clearly fake, that everybody else must think, oh, this is clearly fake. Everybody clearly understands that this is a made-up story. But the problem is that that's not true. There are people who believe what they see. There are people who believe that that clearly photoshopped alien head is a real alien who has taken over somebody's body. And in some cases, we can fact-check things and say, no, that never happened, or this isn't true. But in other cases, it's not quite as clear. You know, you may think that news coming out of a very conservative website is fake news because it doesn't conform to your ideological or political viewpoints. But if you look at that exact same content through the eyes of, you know, in this case, a conservative person, to them, that's that news is very much real. It's not fake. It's authentic. The challenge going forward of fake news is incredibly difficult because who is who is the person deciding you know what fake news is what is fake about that news so here's an example some people have argued that the major news outlets fixation on Hillary Clinton's emails would fall into the fake news category but that's kind of weird right because it's not that the emails weren't real or the investigation into them wasn't real those things are real they happened they are facts it's that the investigation wasn't as big of a deal as these outlets made it out to be and people have said that's fake news that's propaganda that's a way of covering the news that makes it seem like something that it's not people have pointed out that the major news networks in the United States spent more time covering Hillary's emails than all of the policy positions of all of the candidates combined which is kind of wild and since the email were the main news story of the campaign, you also got a bunch of stories about those emails that were objectively false. So getting back to that BuzzFeed analysis of fake news stories that outperformed real news on Facebook, three of the five top performing fake news stories had to do with Hillary Clinton's emails. So here are some examples. WikiLeaks confirms Hillary sold weapons to ISIS, then drops another bombshell. Breaking news. Here's another headline. FBI agent suspected in Hillary email leaks found dead in apparent murder-suicide. But Amy's point is that, you know, we can sit here and fact check and say, okay, those things didn't happen. That's not based on reality. But for people who believe that, say, Hillary Clinton is the most evil human being on the planet, these stories confirm a worldview. They feel true. They have a kind of truthiness about them, as Stephen Colbert would say. Now, sometimes I think it can be easy to just say, oh, this is just online internet stuff. It doesn't really impact the real world. But before you go down that road, I want to give you a counterexample. On this past Sunday, a man named Edgar Madison Welch walked into a pizza place with a gun and pointed it at an employee. Welch fired several shots inside the restaurant. Thankfully, he didn't hit anybody, but he was there because he had read a fake news story that said that Hillary Clinton was running a child sex ring from the pizzeria's back room. Now, this story is totally false. There is nothing to say that anything even remotely like this was happening. And based on your bubble, you might have never even seen this story. But the so-called Pizzagate story was shared widely in certain bubbles. Welch, the guy with the gun, said that he was there to investigate this child sex ring, this ring that did not exist but that he saw in a story 
on Facebook. Thankfully, nobody at this pizza place was hurt. But this fake news stuff, it's not just online trolling. It has real impacts. And one of the most prolific authors of fake news stories told a Washington Post reporter that he thinks he helped get Donald Trump elected. We're talking about the year 2016. You know, we can see evidence of the problems that are caused in the year 2016. What we are not talking about is how this lays the groundwork for how we communicate with each other, you know, in the next five years, in the next 10 years. And that to me is is what's really chilling. That That keeps me up at night. And Amy's not worried about specific news stories. She's worried about something bigger. So, okay, here's a great example. You know what Russia Today is, right? My sister, so, and for those who don't know, Russia Today is a prolific media brand. It's digital. And they they post a lot of really interesting stories, some of which are very similar to sort of in theme and tone to sort of BuzzFeed. They're really, they're stories that work really well on social media. And you probably have shared a Russia Today story without even realizing it. My sister sent me a Russia Today story on, on Facebook and I called her afterwards and I said, hey, what's this uh, Russia Today? What, 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 what is this? And she's like, oh, I don't know. Is that, and I'm sorry, she didn't even know it was Russia Today. So the icon that displays, or that displayed at the time was just RT in a little green square. And I said, oh, do you know what this RT is? And she's like, oh, I don't know. Isn't that just one of those cool sites that shares like cool information? And I was like, no, this isn't a cool site that shares information. This is Russia Today, which is a propaganda arm of the Russian government. And my sister is highly educated and she's very, very smart. And she is complicit in spreading what was essentially a propaganda story. So what happens when governments and huge organizations know how to harness the spread of that news to push their own propaganda? You know, your kind of initial question of, you know, what do we do when fake news is all around us? I mean, I guess my response to that is we live in that world already. And, you know, no one cares that the news is fake because there's no such thing as fake news. My name is uh, Enrique Armijo. I'm the... uh, professor and associate dean of academic affairs at Elon University in Greensboro, North Carolina. Enrique studies law and the media and focuses a lot of his work on how to balance freedom of speech with some of the harm that bad journalism can do. You know, this this isn't even about what's true or what isn't. It's about insisting that something is true, even despite all evidence to the contrary. These things could be fact-checked in real time by people who disagree with those positions or in the comment section or whatever, but, you know, it's, it's, it seems like none of that matters. I, I think this problem is as close to intractable as it's going to be. And in this world that we're sort of easing into, we lose a really important function of journalism, which is changing people's minds. The best journalism, right, the stuff that wins Pulitzers and actually makes a difference, is the best because it shows us something that we didn't know, and it changes our minds about things. In a world of fake news, we lose that ability. You know, we, we, we've lo- if we lose the ability to persuade, then it just becomes, it, it just, if we lose the ability per- to, to persuade and we lose the ability to differentiate between what's true and what's not, and if we lose the ability to be objective, and if we, and if we uh, capitulate to the idea that truth is subjective and there's no such thing as true and false and there's no such thing as right and wrong, then it's just going to be a matter of, you know, who can put more butts in the seats. <laughs> And which side has more people that subscribe to their version of the truth? That's post-truth, um, but in a way it's also post-politics and post-First Amendment. And it's, it's just, it's, it's a world where people are, are not just predisposed but convinced. And a world that people agree, where people agree with someone before they even start to speak. 
and a world where there is no independent um, thinking or determinations as to what's right and wrong except for the side that you happen to be on. And that's a very troubling place to live in. But like I said, I'm I'm not sure we're not there already. (laughs) So... As a science reporter, it's actually been really interesting watching the political sphere react to fake news in the past few months because it's kind of like deja vu. Because in science and science reporting, we're actually pretty used to this. The concept of people making up completely fake stories about something isn't actually new. It's a tactic that we see all the time. So anti-vaccine websites make up things about the safety of vaccines. And anti-climate change websites make up stuff about whether climate change is real. Anti-GMO coverage is full of fake information to make it seem like genetically modified organisms are going to kill us all. So science reporters, we're actually pretty used to this. Um, As far as science reporting goes, I think the biggest one that comes to mind that has it's sort of a clearinghouse for science conspiracy theories or anti-science conspiracy theories is natural news. That's Brooke Burrell. She's a science writer and the author of the Chicago Guide to Fact-Checking. The last time I checked, when I was working on my fact-checking book, they were getting something like 2.2 million unique views every month. And their Facebook page has over 2 million likes. And they... There's, you know, there's a, the tone of that site is uh, a little frantic and a little sort of end of the world, but it still will cite actual scientific journals sometimes and will cite actual things happening happening in the world and sort of skews it in a way, but makes it feel to the uninitiated that uh, it's sort of grounded in reality. So here are some headlines I saw when I went to Natural News. Which causes cancer more quickly, cigarettes, diet soda or GMOs? Over 30,000 scientists say catastrophic man-made global warming is a complete hoax and science lie. Gun-free schools in America now training children as resistance militia forces armed with cans of soup. These headlines lead you to stories that are full of misinformation, but they're incredibly popular, in part because they tell people what they want to hear. And because these stories, they often look legitimate. I mean, they even include links to scientific studies. None of us can go down every single rabbit hole and try and decide whether something whether we should be paying attention to something or not. Assessing the quality of the scientific information a website, that's getting increasingly difficult, uh, not only because people won't necessarily know how to assess that scientific information anyway, but because we're also seeing this proliferation of predatory scientific journals that are publishing scientific papers that aren't really that high of quality. There's this set of scientific journals that don't really do any vetting at all. You just pay them money and they will publish your paper without checking it in any way. These journal articles also look super legit. They'll have an abstract. They'll have, you know, all of the pieces of a scientific journal article. They come from scientific journals that have very official sounding names, but in reality, people are paying huge sums of money to publish their work in there. And so then you also have all these articles, you know, highlighting that work and someone who doesn't know that that journal article is actually part of the system of predatory journals is not gonna be able to assess necessarily that, oh, they're just gonna say, oh, a scientist said this and it must be right. Now, you may or may not have ever seen a natural news post on Facebook or Twitter. It kind of depends on what your social media experience is like overall and how well you've curated your little bubble. For those within the natural news bubble, these stories are shared all the time as fact. For those who think natural news isn't a credible source, you probably never see these stories because you've trained Facebook not to show them to you. And this is what people call the filter bubble, right? You've told Facebook what you like and what you don't like, and it has learned what to show you. 
Which means that if you liked Hillary, you probably never saw those fake news stories about her selling bombs to ISIS via email. And if you liked Trump, you probably never saw pro-Hillary stories. You told Facebook not to show those kinds of things to you, whether you realize it or not. And this works with science stuff, too, right? If you're a climate change denier, you probably see a very different set of things shared on Facebook than I do, because I believe that climate change is real. And someone might not even realize that the things that they are sharing are even in question or controversial at all. So what happens when these filter bubbles get more and more entrenched and these fake news stories just keep coming? I don't know. It's hard to even picture. I mean, I guess you just will have you can already see these divisions across the U.S. and across the world. Right. Do we just get into tighter and tighter bubbles that we we even start we stop, you know, actually physically going beyond those boundaries because it's actually quite dangerous for us to interact with these other people because they see each each other as a threat there or we're going into these bubbles of, you know, totally unvaccinated populations that are going to give us all of, you know, the measles or whatever. I I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, will we see some sort of uh, physical bubbles even more so than we do now that are based on these information bubbles? Like, will people be afraid to even travel to these different places? I don't know. Okay, so for some people, this is already obviously the case. Marginalized people, people of color, LGBT folks, women, Muslims have to be a lot more aware of their surroundings and think about where they're traveling and if they're going to be safe. And that's today, in 2016. But maybe in this future, this gets even worse. So this sort of reminds me of this book called The Phantom Tollbooth, which is a story about a boy named Milo who is traveling around this magical land. If you have never read this book, it's so fun. Even if you're an adult, I highly recommend it. And Milo goes through all of these different towns and cities, and in every place he goes, the rules of those cities are just totally different. And he kind of has to figure out what to do every time he gets to a new place. So at one point, he goes through this town called Point of View, where he meets a little boy who floats above the ground because he has not grown down to it yet. Like, instead of growing up from the ground like we do, these people are born floating and grow down to the ground. And this is sort of how it feels sometimes talking about this fake news stuff. On one side, we assume that, of course, everybody starts from the ground and grows up. But the people living in Point of View, of course, assume that everyone is born floating and grows down. And for Milo, traveling between these various places is confusing and scary and weird. Now, Milo's story has a happy ending because it's a children's book, but I don't know that ours will. Okay, before we get too dark, let's take a break and hear from some sponsors. And when we come back, we'll talk about what we can do about all of this and whether this future is inevitable or not. Okay, so we started digging into this future where everything is fake, but nothing is fake, and no one cares, and truth doesn't mean anything, and there are no such thing as facts. But before we go any further into that future, let's stop and turn around and take a trip to the past. Because, as usual, there are lessons that we can learn about our future from looking at history. Because this is not the first time that people have been inundated with fake news. 150 years ago, there were there was the same, you know, we were having the same conversation. We as Americans were having the same conversation. We just called it something different. It was called yellow journalism. That's Amy Webb again. And she says that in order to figure out what is going to happen in the future, it's really important to look backwards. In the mid-1890s, there was a war happening between two newspapers in New York City. On the one side, you have Joseph Pulitzer's publication, New York World. And on the other side, you have William Randolph Hearst's publication, New York Journal. And the two are locked in this fight for who could get more readers or better circulation. And to get better circulation, both papers essentially turned to fake news. Every day, they would sprinkle their front pages with wild photos, big scary headlines, and stories that often included faked interviews and all sorts of just, like, nonsense. 
which sounds really familiar. But eventually that stopped, right? Now, obviously, some of that has stuck with us, right? There are plenty of wild newspapers claiming alien abductions and all sorts of other stuff. But in general, yellow journalism has faded. And that happened for a couple of different reasons. First, Hearst and Pulitzer both moved on and their rivalry ended. But also, journalism started to become professionalized. In 1908, the first journalism school in the United States was founded at the University of Missouri. And by 1917, that yellow journalism style was falling out of favor. By 1950, most of the journalists working at newspapers had gone to journalism school, which teaches a specific set of rules, like don't make things up. That's like rule number one. Today, some of that is changing. Not only are there a lot of people working in newspapers who are no longer graduates of journalism school, but a lot of the places that people are getting their news from aren't newspapers. They're Facebook or Twitter. The difference between then and now, and more importantly, now and the future, uh, is speed is speed and scale. So it would have been hard for sort of spreading misinformation or what people perceived to be misinformation in the 1850s because most people didn't have a printing press at home. Uh, In the year 2016, most people who want to have access to social media tools and they can engage by, you know, by reading the content or by creating misleading content or making it up or by sharing it. Where we're going next I think, is infinitely more challenging because of the addition of things like machine learning algorithms and advanced tools, which will, in effect, create the content for us and share it to us in ways that I think, again, like when when we think about trust and authenticity, this is a really, really hard nut that's going to have to get cracked pretty soon. Now, it might be tempting to point at the end of yellow journalism and say, well, we just need to professionalize journalism again. And one proposal I have read about does involve pushing newspapers and news outlets to only hire people with journalism degrees. But I think that's dangerous and also silly because The New York Times isn't pumping out fake news, right? It's these other online sites. But even if that weren't the case, forcing people to go to journalism school is a bad idea. And I want to explain why by looking at the case of Rwanda. So in 1994, there was a genocide in Rwanda, and somewhere between 500,000 and a million people were murdered. And the genocide was supported by a bunch of media outlets in the country. Hutu-affiliated radio stations and newspapers put out first some ethnic-based propaganda against Tutsis, and then outright clear incitement to the point where you had radio stations in Rwanda telling Hutus where members of the other tribe were hiding and telling them to go there, armed with machetes and And you had an enormous tragedy, obviously, there. That's Enrique again. And in response to that, the government took some very significant steps with respect to regulation of the media. So what the Rwandan government did was crack down on the media. They basically said, if you want to be a journalist, you have to get a license, just like you would have to get a license if you were a doctor or a lawyer. Now, Enrique actually went down to Rwanda to try and advise them about this, because the problem with Rwanda's solution, this licensing of journalists thing, is that it runs against the international standards of freedom of expression. The idea that you need a license to be able to write or speak on things can be really dangerous and oppressive. But Enrique says that it's hard to just drop in and tell people what to do after their media aided and abetted a genocide. So I'm there with the Minister of Information. I'm telling him that licensing journalists is contrary to international standards of freedom of expression. And he says to me, well, do you require doctors in the United States to be licensed? Do you require lawyers in the United States to be licensed? And I'd say, well, yeah, because, you know, if a doctor uh, messes up, someone could die. And if a lawyer messes up, someone can go to jail for a really long time. And the Minister of Information says to me, how's that any different from journalists? 
And in his country, he had a point, right? I mean, it was, you know, you had journalists, like I said, directly inciting violence, ethnic tribal violence against a, a large population in the country. Ultimately, the fears that this kind of licensing system would be abused were actually well-founded. Paul Kagame, the current president of Rwanda, has used the laws to suppress media inside the country. In 2014, he suspended the BBC after they aired a television documentary about the Rwandan genocide. And journalists in the country are routinely harassed, threatened, and arrested. All of this actually kind of made me wonder. I mean, which is worse? A state-run media that nobody trusts or a free press that nobody trusts. I mean, is there even a difference? I mean, I I think if I were were forced to choose between official truth and no official truth, I think I would take no official truth. Because, you know, the, the, when you have a truth that is blessed with the imprimatur of those who know more than you do or purport to know more than you do, uh, I think that can be pernicious even if most people know that it's not. So I, I, th- I think I would take dystopia over fake utopia. <laughs> you know that I always think that our future is a dystopia, but it's not just me. You see, it's other people, too. You know, when I, my book published a month or so ago, and I finished writing it, of course, much longer ago than that, like maybe a year or more ago. And when I wrote it, I was feeling more optimistic about these things. And so the conclusion of the book, although it's not necessarily entirely rosy, it's more optimistic than I feel right now. I think unless we get a handle on how information is spread and how we can fact check things that are on social media or on Google or whatever... I I just see it getting more and more fractured. But there are some studies that say that fact-checking really does work, even if it seems like you're just shouting into a void and nobody is listening. As a consumer, you really can try to do your part to not share news that isn't credible. Here are Brooke's top three tips for fighting fake news. I think number one is before you post anything, just look at the, if the site, especially if it's something you've never heard of before, that doesn't necessarily mean it's, and an accurate fake news site, but look it up. Look up the person that is writing it. Look up the publisher and see if they have any political agenda or anything else that is obvious um, that might skew the information that they're trying to give you. Trying to figure out who it is that's speaking to you and writing to you is incredibly important. And also just not reacting like taking a pause and not just reacting and posting. Two, I think going through an article, I've had people send me, especially in my coverage of GMOs, I've had friends who are um, skeptics of GMOs try and send me various articles uh, that have been riddled with experts that don't actually exist, um, riddled with other information that isn't accurate. So actually, you know, if you read something and you aren't sure about it, look up the people who they're quoting. Are they real people? You know, are they tied to legitimate, you know, research organizations? Or are they not? Are they tied to maybe a partisan think tank or some other institution that has a stake in giving you information that's skewed in a certain way? I'm trying to think of a good number three. I guess three, buy, buy my book and buy, you know, and, and also, but also three, I guess, is also just paying for good journalism and also looking at other outlets and how they, they cover stories. And maybe they are wrong and maybe they're right, but trying to get sort of if if one article is like such an outlier and it's from this sort of website you've never heard of before, I think that's a good hint that maybe it's not the full story. So you can do your part in trying to curb the spread of these fake news stories. Check stuff out, see if it's real, and point out to your friends when something isn't legit. And Amy says the other thing that we can all do 
is learn from our mistakes, which humans actually aren't very good at. You know, all I see on all of my social feeds is, you know, people saying, I hate you, 20, like, I'm done with you. We're done, 2016. I'm breaking up with you. You know, I can't wait for 2017. So here's my question. What happens? Is everybody going to wake up on January 1st and close the book on this past year, which didn't go the way that you wanted it to go, right? And suddenly you're going to, you know, everything is going to be different next year. That never works. That never works. When you go out and you get, you're hungover because you've, you've had way too much to drink and you go to bed thinking tomorrow's another day. You know, when you wake up the next day, all that alcohol is still in your body. The events may have ended, but you're still going to go through hell the next day. Like, that's that's what happens. That's an analogy to where I think we're in right now. We are all drunk. We in this country are drunk. We are drunk on social media and fake news. And what we think is real news, but somebody else thinks is fake news, we have gone on a year-long bender that didn't just start January 1st, 2016, but in fact, we've been building towards you know, and for, for, for like a really long time. When we wake up on January 1st, you know, maybe we're all going to be really hungover, but have we learned our lesson? The answer is, I don't think so. That's all for this episode. Was it actually all fake anyway? Who knows? Maybe I made all this up. Truth is a myth. Nothing is real. Just kidding. It's all real. I would not lie to you like that. Flash Forward is produced by me, Rose Evelyn. The intro music is by Asura, and the outro music is by Hasselonia. Special thanks this week to Diane Kelly, Matt Weller, John Olier, and Caroline Sinders. The episode art, as usual, is by Matt Lubchansky, who is the best. You should check out his work. If you want to see links to studies and stories I referenced in this episode, go to flashforwardpod.com, where I will post a reading list. If you want to suggest a future that we should take on, send us a note on Twitter, Facebook, or by email at info at flashforwardpod.com. I love hearing your ideas, and I try to get back to everybody. It just might take me a little while. And if you think you've spotted one of the little references that I've hidden in this episode, email us there, too. If you're right, I will send you something cool. And if you want to support the show so that I can buy things like this nice microphone, doesn't it sound so good? There are a few ways you can do that, too. We have a Patreon page where you can donate. And if that's not in the cards, you can just head to iTunes and leave us a nice review or tell your friends about us. Spreading the word about the podcast is actually, like, the best thing you can possibly do. Okay, see you in the future for a new future. Does that work? I'm trying a new tagline for the end here, which I'm sure no one actually listens to the end of. Let's try that again. See you in the future for a new future? See you in the future for a different future. Okay, I'll see you next time. Bye.